Turn in your Bibles this morning to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse 13 as we uh, come to week 3 of this series that we're in that we're calling Handfuls. And we're getting toward the end of the story. And so uh, I I believe we read this uh, part of this last week toward the end of the message, but this is where we're going to start today. Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth... And she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Let's pray. Lord, thank you today for your word and for the life and instruction that it brings. I pray that it will find deep root in hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we've been in this series over the last few weeks. The first week we talked about handfuls on purpose. And we said that Ruth was blessed by the Lord in three ways. She was led to the right field. She was blessed earlier in her labors. And she was blessed with handfuls on purpose. Last week we looked at the story of Boaz and Ruth. And last week we said that Boaz redeemed Ruth in three ways. He arranged handfuls of protection for her. And handfuls of provision for her. And then handfuls of promise. And we said that like any good story, the book of Ruth is filled with memorable moments and great quotes. And the memorable moment I think from last week is when we shared what that might have been like. For Ruth to go to the threshing floor, lay at the feet of Boaz in the middle of the night. And propose that he become her kinsman redeemer. That he marry her. The quote that came right after that was when uh, he looked at her and he said, Open your shawl. I'm going to fill it up with some of today's harvest. You're going to go home with over 24 gallons of harvest. And I don't want you to go home to your mother-in-law empty. Remember that quote? Now, we know that in a great story or a TV show or a movie, you don't just need memorable moments and great quotes. You've got to have compelling characters, right? And I think when you're, when you're in a story or you're watching a movie, it's the characters that draw you in. And I think the characters in this story draw us in as well because we hear what's going on with them. We can relate what's, what's happening with them. and We kind of lean into their story because it makes sense. Now for me, uh, about 10 or 15 years ago, there was a TV show that became one of my favorites. And the reason why I think I love this show so much was because of the character development In this show, it was like no show I had ever seen before. It was a TV show called Lost. Anybody ever watch Lost? Okay, now Lost always gets mixed reviews because Lost starts strong and it ends in a ball of fire. I mean, it's just it's just crazy. But the premise of Lost is basically this: you have an airplane, Jackson. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jack is back there nodding his head. I knew I would see it from him back there. So in the story of loss, the basics of this. You got an airplane. It crashes on a deserted island. And you follow these characters and see what happens with their lives and how everything goes with them. And the thing about loss that made it for me, that I really pulled me in, was every week they would feature a character. They would tell about what was going on with them on the island and how they interacted with everything. And and then it would do a flashback. You know, now it's kind of a common thing in a lot of shows to flashback. But Lost was one of the first ones to give us the flashback. And we would learn about what was going on in the past with, with stories in the past. And then the next week would be another character. And then another character. And then you may get a season in and they'd go back to one of the first characters. And so as you would go on in Lost, you just found yourself more and more engaged with the story. Because you knew about everything that was going on with the characters. Well, it's true, I believe, with our story about Ruth as well. And today, we're going to look at Naomi and see what happened to her throughout this story. Now, the book's not named after Naomi. She's not the main character. But she certainly is a central character. And we certainly know more about her backstory than we do about Ruth or Boaz's backstory. We actually know more about what's going on with her. Now, compelling characters are those characters that cause us to empathize with them. We listen to the story, we read it, we watch the show, and we think about what it would be like to be in their shoes. But I think with Naomi, we don't just empathize with her and think about what would it be like to be in her shoes. I think we sympathize with Naomi. Because to sympathize means to feel loss and sorrow and pain just like somebody else does. And I think you'll find this morning... That as we go through this story, that Naomi is a character that you can really kind of feel. Because as you hear her story, it's not just her story, it's your story. You hear what she's gone through and you think, well, those are some of the same things, the same problems, the same hurts, the same pains, the same losses that I have gone through. And what we'll see as we go through this story today with Naomi is that everything about Naomi today revolves around one word, and that is the word process. We're going to talk about handfuls in process today. And as we see her story, I believe we'll find ourselves in her story. And just like her life was a process, your life is a process. What you're going through is a process to get you from where you are to where God wants you to be. So we're going to talk this morning about the ways that Naomi proceeded through her process. Now, the first way that Naomi proceeded through her process was that she was blinded by bitterness. She was blinded by bitterness. Now, let's kind of recap again, okay? As we've told this story, we know that at the beginning of the story, we have Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons, Malin and Killian. They're living in the town called Bethlehem, which means, have you been with me? What does it mean? House of bread, okay? They're in a famine, and so they decide to leave the house of bread. Y'all going to talk back? Come on now. I'll, I'll preach quicker if you'll talk back, okay? They leave the house of bread to go to Moab, a place where God would not intend them to be. To be provided for and on the way and during their journey there and while they're there, Elimelech dies. The two boys marry two girls, Orpah and Ruth. They live together for ten years and then the uh, the two sons die. Okay, 
And then in that process, somewhere in it, Naomi realizes and hears that bread has come back to the house of bread. That the famine in Bethlehem is over. And she makes a decision to take the girls and to move back. And on the way, she tells the girls, you need to go back home. Go back to your family. Orpah leaves her. Ruth stays with her. We've talked about the importance of that. How Ruth said, I'm going to go where you go. I'll be where you'll be. Your God will be my God. I'm going to die where you die. She makes that commitment. Everybody remember that. This means yes, okay? That, remember that, okay? So she goes back home. Now, there's a part of this story I haven't told you yet. I haven't even read it yet. And that is what it looked like the day that they got back into town. Okay? So, the Scripture tells us, if you want to open your Bibles this morning, I'm going to go verse by verse and kind of break, take, take it this story verse by verse by, from, from Naomi's side of things. And so, if you want to look, you can. If not, just, just hang on. But here we go. Chapter 1, verse 19, it says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? So as they're coming into town, Naomi and Ruth are walking into town. And the people in the town are like, hey, that looks like Naomi. I haven't seen her for over 10 years. And they're probably thinking, where's Elimelech, her husband? And where are her sons? And who is this other woman who's coming into town with her? And as they come in, in verse 20, Naomi says to them, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. Now, Naomi, her name means pleasant, which tells us about the kind of person she was. The word Mara means bitter, which tells us about the type of person she had become. Okay, you with me? Then she says to them, she's telling this to all the people who are coming out. She says, I went away full, verse 21, but the Lord's brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now you hear what she's doing? Who's she throwing under the bus? God. She's blaming God. It's God's fault. He has dealt with me this way. He has afflicted me. I come back empty. I don't have anything. Now, Naomi, remember in the story, just a few verses earlier, Ruth is standing there and she's saying, I'm going to go with you. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Wherever you die, I'm going to die. And I've got to think... <laughs> That as we're standing here, here's Naomi and Ruth. They're walking through the city. They're coming in. This conversation's going on. And remember what Naomi says. She said, I left full. I came back empty. Now, if I'm Ruth, Jason, and I'm standing beside her, I'm thinking, Did I not just leave my mom, my dad, my country, my life, what about that part earlier where I was saying, you're God, you're people, where you die? I, I'm, I, what about me? I can imagine Ruth thinking, what am I? What, did you forget about me? But, but in the story, Naomi is so blinded by her bitterness and changing her name to Mara that she doesn't even introduce Ruth. Well, here's my uh, daughter-in-law, Ruth. She doesn't say where she came from. She doesn't tell anybody anything about her. She just kind of ignores her in the moment. Now, I want to tell you something, okay? Naomi's bitterness is warranted. She's been through a lot. You can make a good argument that she's justified to be bitter. Her pain is real. Her loss is deep. 
she had an experience by losing her husband and her two sons that would change her life forever, right? If you've ever lost people close to you, you know that you'll never be the same once you lose that. So let's at least say for Naomi that what she's going through is real and we understand it. But just like she changed her name from from pleasant Naomi to Mara bitter, we too can let life's disappointments and loss and tragedy cause us to change our names. And what we can do, we can say, you know what? Hello, now my name is bitter. Hello, now my name is angry. Hello, now my name is broken. You used to call me one thing, but now you can call me hurt. You used to know me as one thing, but now I've changed my name to unloved. You know, you used to know me in the past, but now I want you to call me betrayed. Now, identify me as defeated. And on top of everything else, I'm just somebody who's forgotten. We can change our name and our identity just like she did to say, I used to be something else, but now I'm somebody else. And it can be not just our names in what we call ourselves, but it can be what we wear and how we lead in our relationships with people. Now you hear this? Because if you ever met somebody who has one of these going on, or if, I, if yours isn't on me, add yours on here. And they're so broken, defeated, bitter that that's what they lead with. Every time you're around them, they lead in the first minute. I've been around people that you can set your watch in the first minute. They're going to tell you something that's going to point to their hurt, their betrayal, their anger, their rejection. It's just what they lead with. It's what they are now because they've changed their name to that. Now, I'm going to tell you, we can sympathize with Naomi, right? Because we know what it means to feel that loss and that bitterness and that disappointment. But I want to ask you this morning for you. If you've changed your name in any way, I want to ask you, what did your name used to be? And who do you name yourself today? See, Naomi was so blinded by her bitterness that she could not see the blessing of Ruth that God had provided for her in her disappointment and in her hurt. She came home with Ruth. She didn't come home empty-handed. But she was so eat up with all of this that she couldn't see it. And we're the same way. We can focus all of our attention on all of this. Our bitterness, our hurt, our anger, our brokenness. That we're blinded to God's blessings in our lives. Are you missing your Ruth? Is there a Ruth in your life that you're missing Because you're blinded because you don't see how God has blessed you with a Ruth. Naomi was so locked in on all of this that she didn't see it. There's a song that we sing here in in worship that I was reminded of this week as I was working on this. And it's a song that's called, I Am Not Alone. And the way we do this song is there's three verses. And Heather sings the first verse. And Kelly sings the second verse. And Tressa sings the third verse. And the verse that Kelly sings, the second verse, goes like this. And as I say the lyrics, you'll you'll remember it. In the midst of deep sorrow, I see your light is breaking through. 
The dark of night will not overtake me. I am pressing into you. Lord, you fight my every battle and I will not fear. Powerful lyrics. And when we drop that song in this room, you guys respond, you worship, you embrace that song. Because this is a song that that's, it's like right where we're at. We can understand and we've, we live that song. The, the first morning when we introduced this song a few years ago, uh, Pastor Merritt's wife, Miss Kim, she came up to Tressa and I. And she looked at us and she said, man, what a powerful song this morning that you guys did, I Am Not Alone. And she said, she said it, I, I get it so much more, she said, because I know Heather's story. And I know something about Kelly's story. And I know something, of Tressa, about your story. You remember that? And I thought, wow, what an impact it makes. And, and for her, it made a huge impact because she knew that as these ladies sang those verses... That it wasn't just something they were singing, it was something that they had lived. It was something that they had experienced. And I want to tell you this morning that those words are so true. In the midst of deep sorrow, you can still see the light of God breaking through. I want you to look at this principle as it comes up on the screen. Experiencing bitterness in life cannot be prevented. But nurturing bitterness cannot be permitted. You're going to experience bitterness. Something's going to happen and bitterness is going to grab hold of you. You can't prevent that. But what you do with it, if you nurture it and let it grow and feed it and water it, you can permit, you can't permit that. You can't allow it to find root in your life. The title of our message today is Handfuls in Process. Everybody say, Process, okay? So handfuls in process. Hopeless people and helpless people have found themselves so lost and engulfed in their, in their situation that they don't see that maybe where they're at is just one point of maybe they're at point C of point G in their process. They're so hopeless and helpless that they don't see that they're just, they're just walking through the process. You understand what I'm saying? That they don't see the big picture of where they might be. Your current situation does not dictate a permanent position. Where you are right now, wherever you find yourself, that doesn't dictate that permanently that's where you are and that's where you've always got to be. Your story is still being written despite your pain. God is still working in the middle of it. So what do you do? How do you, how do you eliminate and combat that bitterness? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to tell you. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4.8. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, one thing. Fix your thoughts on what is. Read it with me. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Instead of setting your mind on all of this and allow it to consume you and eat you up, fix your mind on these things. I put the word meditate up there because I love that because one scripture interpretation, one translation use the word meditate. And that's what a lot of people do. They get on their hopeless soapbox and they just sit and meditate. I'm betrayed. I'm hurt. I'm broken. I'm angry. I'm defeated. I'm unloved. I'm bitter. I'm broken, I'm angry, I'm hurt, I'm betrayed. I'm, you know, and whatever's coming at them, 
Maybe, there's, maybe, maybe it's you right now. You're sitting here listening to this message. But your head drops and you're like, but I'm hurt, I'm betrayed, I'm broken, I'm bitter. Somebody reaches out to you to be a friend, but I'm hurt, I'm betrayed, I'm broken, I'm bitter. Somebody tries to do something for you, but I'm hurt, I'm betrayed, I'm broken, I'm bitter. You just rehearse that over and over and over. You rehearse it over and over. You meditate on it. You say, this is who I am. This is what I've become. I can't be anything else. But Paul says, you got to do the opposite. you got to meditate on things that are good. See, negativity is the devil's language. That's what Satan speaks is negative stuff. So what i got to do, i got to flip that upside down and i got to turn up, turn up the praise. i got to think about things like the Ruth that might be standing right beside me that I haven't seen. I haven't even opened my eyes to say, well, God's got a Ruth standing right here and I'm not even seeing it. Listen to what Isaiah says. A perfect prescription for how to deal with this type of thing. Because here's the deal. Jesus did not come. God didn't send him for him to die on a cross. For you to live with all this garbage attached to you. And you leading with it in all your relationships. Listen to what Isaiah says. Speaking about Jesus. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim freedom for the captives. And release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I went to my closet this morning. I pulled out a purple shirt. I took it out. I had to unbutton it, take it off the rack, and I had to put one arm in, the other arm in, and I buttoned it up. What did I do? I put it on. This shirt does not work for all you Marvel people. It's not like Dr. Strange's cape. I don't go back to the, uh, to the um, closet and it just comes on me that would be pretty cool and maybe one day technology will get there but I gotta put it on right anybody else have to put your clothes on this morning we say I put one leg in like the other like everybody else does it Michael Jordan everybody okay but it's the same way this is what we're saying to defeat this you've got to put on praise see I can what did I do with these stickers what did I do with them I what did I do I put them on so are you putting on this or are you putting on praise? If you put on praise, man, these babies got to go. You can't, praise can't, these things can't stick around. Oh, man, this is good. These things can't stick around when you start with praising. When you start giving praise, when you start, rec- oh my gosh, Lord have mercy, this is better than I thought it would be. When you start recognizing the roots in your life, and you know what, God's so good, oh, hallelujah. He doesn't just give you one Ruth. Mm. See, because here's the thing about, oh my gosh, here's the thing about Naomi. God had blessed her with the ability to see and know that there was bread back in Bethlehem. Somehow she found out about that and she failed to recognize that Ruth. That at least she knew that there was bread and the famine was over and she could come back home. Oh my gosh, I'm preaching better than y'all responding. Oh my Lord, that's good. Woo, I've been waiting to say that all week. All right, now, point two. Now, she was blinded by bitterness, but here's the second thing that happened. As she went through the process, she recognized redemption. Now, I just said, now imagine her, she's back in Moab. She's there with the girls. 
Everything's happening. And somehow she gets the news that the famine is over. Light is starting to break through her, her circumstance. Now, although she's battling bitterness, it's not eating her up to the point to where she doesn't have smart enough and an intellect enough and, and, and knowledge enough to say, we need to go back home, girls. She heard about it and she moved herself. She could have been so paralyzed and just been sitting there and said, we can't go. Everything's ruined. I, I can't move. But she saw what was going on. She recognized it and she started moving forward to it. Now, Chapter 2, verse 1. Look at this. They get home, and Ruth says, Let me go to the fields and pick up grain behind anybody and who I can find favor. Now, I don't know, this is just my version, but could it be that Naomi was so bitter and so negative that Ruth said, It's day one, we're home, and I can't stay around here. I can't stay around this negative. I'm just going to go work. I'm going to go get me a job somewhere. Have you ever been around somebody who's negative and bitter and eat up with all this? They're a real joy to be around, aren't they? You know? So I don't know. That's just my version. Maybe Ruth said, you know what? I can't take this anymore. I'm going to go out in the fields. So she got, So then the next verse, chapter 2, verse 2, what does Naomi say to her when she says, I'm going to go out to work? She says, go ahead, my daughter, go. Now, what could have Naomi could have said? If bitterness would have totally taken her over, she'd have said, well, good luck. God Almighty's against us. We probably, you probably won't have any luck out there. Just, just go ahead on and nothing will probably happen. But she didn't. She found something positive. Go ahead out there. Now, chapter 2, verse 19. Here comes Naomi. We talked about it in the first week. I'm sorry, Ruth, she comes home, she's got all, these, all this grain, and she's got the, the barley that she's gotten from her day of harvest. In chapter 2, verse 19, she walks in the door, and what does Naomi say? She says, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. And she's, she's, praying, a, she's praying a blessing. She's saying, well, bless God, somebody reached out to you. She could have just said, uh, something negative, but her faith starts to perk up and she even prays that blessing. And then verse 20, she, when, he, when, when uh, Ruth responds to Naomi and she says, I went to the field of a guy named Boaz. And she's like, Boaz? She's thinking Boaz. And she says, the Lord bless him. He's not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. Now look at here. She's not... And this is a good point for those of you who think, how do I process my bitterness? How do I process what I'm going through? She doesn't totally forget that she's had loss, does she? Because she's mentioning the dead. But she, she prays over Boaz. She prays and she says, God bless Boaz. She said, he's not stopped showing kindness now to us. And he's even showing kindness to the dead. How could he be showing kindness to the dead? The fact that he was a family member and recognized her as a family member and knew that this was something that a field of theirs and the property of theirs and that he was related to Elimelech and the boys. He was finding an opportunity to bless them. And she says, not only has he blessed us, but he's blessing our family who's not even here anymore. Verse 20. She goes on, and then her faith gets a little bit more. She says, you know what? That man, Boaz, he's a close relative. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And now, Naomi's beginning to think, you know what, Ruth? You didn't just wind up in any old field. You wound up in the field of a kinsman redeemer, and the possibilities start popping in her mind. She's recognizing that redemption's on the way. So... She says, it'll be good for you. Stay in that field. We talked about that the last few weeks. Uh, somewhere else you might be harmed. And she could have said, well, 
you go on out there, but you'll probably get hurt. Something will probably happen to you. Have you ever seen somebody like that? They're just negative on top of negative. She could have been that way, but she wasn't. She said, no, go on out there. So she goes out. She works. We fast forward to chapter 3, the beginning. After everything, we know that she's been doing this for a while. And then one day she looks at her. We talked about it last week. And this is when Naomi, the matchmaker, kicks in. Remember, we talked about her last week as a matchmaker. And she says, okay, here, she's a, he's a kinsman redeemer. Here's what you can do. Go to his threshing floor, lay at his feet. All the stuff we talked about last week, if you missed it, pull it up online. You can hear that story from last week. Tells everything that's going on. And she tells her to go do that. And at the end, she says... He'll tell you what to do. Now, she's putting into faith, I'm sorry, she's putting into practice what she's recognized. She's seeing the possibilities. So what is she doing? She's taking a step of faith for her family to move from where they are, where Ruth is, alone, a widow without a husband, to a place where possibly there can be a change in her circumstances. Now see, listen, early on, early day one when she came home, she recognized him as a kinsman redeemer, right? Close relative. But it wasn't until a few days later and as time went on that she recognized, hey, something could happen here and she takes a faith, a step of faith. Look at this, James chapter 2 reminds me of what James says. James says, in the same way, faith by itself, is, if not accompanied by action, is dead. We know that verse you got to put some action with your faith. And so as Naomi is watching this story of Ruth unfold in front of her, she takes a leap of faith and says, go, go down there to the threshing floor and lay at his feet tonight. Do you think that was a leap of faith for her to do that? She's putting Ruth out in a place where she might be rejected and might be embarrassed, but she takes a step of faith and does it anyway. I think about, as I was thinking about this week and taking a step of faith, I remember something that when I was a student at Lee College, I was in campus choir, and our director at the time was Dr. David Horton, wonderful man of God, great mentor, worship leader. And something that Dr. Horton would say to us often as we were in choir and as we were, we were I can remember so many times we would be in different Different uh, churches like this all over the country, stage full of about 75 singers and probably about 15 musicians. And, and just like happens in here, you begin to sing and you begin to worship and God's, God begins to move and the presence of God fills the place and you're just engaged and the room is engaged. And Dr. Horton used to, I remember at moments he would step out and he would say something like, you know what, I sense faith beginning to rise in this place. He had a keen awareness of the presence of God and he could tell that when people begin to worship, begin to rehearse and sing like we did this morning, you, you, do you, does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say you're worshiping and faith begins to rise and you feel something churning on the inside and maybe you came in discouraged and maybe you came in down but you begin to worship and you begin to do what we talked about that Paul said and you begin to look at the positive things and hear not just sing the lyrics but think about what they mean as related to the word and and faith begins to rise in your heart. That's what was happening to Naomi. Everything's going on with Ruth. She recognized the redemption that would happen and could happen. Not just for her, but for Ruth as well. She saw, you know what? Something is happening here. 
She was still dealing with the bitterness, yes. Was she still dealing with loss and pain? Yes, but she did not let it permanently define her. Don't let the names that you've put on yourself permanently define who you are. You know what else she could have done? She could have also handed down that bitterness to Ruth. She could have, in her relationship with Ruth, and I'll come over here to these, to these students, as a young person, she could have told them, she could have told Ruth, well, you know what, you saw how my life turned out, and I was trying to do the right thing. You, you just need to forget about it. It's really not worth it. She could have passed down negativity to Ruth. But does she? No, she doesn't. Certainly Ruth saw some of it in her attitude because we already told that part of the story. But as it goes, she's the one who's imploring Ruth, step out in faith, Ruth. God's working on your behalf. You could be redeemed. You can be saved from what's going on in your life. You can have a husband that, that you thought you would never have again. She begins to move her faith in the direction of Ruth. And I want to ask you this morning, in your life, are you handing down bitterness are you handing down griping and complaining? Or are you handing down thankfulness? Are you handing down joy? Are you handing down love? Are you handing down hope to those who are, all, who are under you? In your home, your grandkids, people who are around you. See, as believers, we're always going to, we're always, there's going to be times we're going to face disappointment and defeat and disillusionment and death and despair. But Naomi was bitter, but she battled back. She battled through it by going back to the land of promise, by reaching out to Ruth, and by refusing to quit. And she, she saw an opportunity to repay the kindness that Ruth had given to her by pushing Ruth towards something that was available to her. Now listen, this is, this is a huge point of this message this morning. If you are dealing with any of these things or whatever your sticker looks like today, one of the best ways for you to dig yourself out of that pit is to do something for somebody else. Because when I start giving to others, then these things, they're not, they're not as strong in my life anymore, are they? And that's what happened with Naomi, as she begins to give to Ruth and help her, her bitterness in the story, it starts leaving. We don't hear about it as much. Her name stays Naomi. And, and you know what? That's interesting to me because whoever wrote, we don't really know who, who wrote the book of Ruth. Some people think Samuel did, but we really don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. But whoever did, you know what they didn't do? They didn't call Naomi Mara for chapters 2, 3, or 4, did they? They kept calling her Naomi because her spirit stayed pleasant despite her pain. Recognize the moments that God wants to allow your faith to rise and as it rises to help somebody else. If you're eat up with this today, not only can you get out of this by giving God praise and by having an attitude of worship, you can get out of it by helping somebody else. Amen? So Naomi proceeded through her process First of all, she was blinded by bitterness. Secondly, she recognized redemption. And here's the last point, okay? She received renewal. Now, all the things that Ruth had gotten, all the handfuls of protection, of provision, 
of promise, handfuls on purpose, all of those were not just for Ruth. They were also for Naomi. And just like Ruth had to go through a process to get where God wanted her to be, Naomi was going through a process to get where God wanted her to be. And the last thing that happens is in this story, the last thing we hear about Naomi is what we read at the beginning. We see this beautiful picture of Ruth and Boaz are married. God blesses them with a son. And we see this picture of Naomi sitting there and she's holding her son, holding this baby. Now, technically, Tress and I tried to figure out this, and I won't waste five minutes of your time like I did of hers yesterday. But we tried to figure out how in the world is this baby really related to Naomi. And at the end of the day, we really figured out, I don't think technically this child was. I wanted to call it the step-grandbaby. But really, this baby, do the math, or what do the family tree, but really, technically wasn't really related to her. But you see this beautiful picture at the end of the story with her sitting here holding the baby. And you think about, think about everything she's gone through as she's holding this baby. She left home. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. She lost to death. And then she has a daughter-in-law that stays in Moab. She comes home bitter and depressed. But now, through the process, she's sitting here with a baby in her lap. A baby. Now, when I say baby, a lot of you, you're just smiling. Because when you hear baby, you're just like, oh, it's a baby. You know? Even a, even a, I've seen gruff, old, grumpy grandpas. When that baby comes, man, it, they, it changes. That grandbaby will change a grandpa. Have you ever seen that happen? Because a baby brings joy. It represents new life. And you know what it also represents? It represents that the family tree is going to keep moving forward because now there's new life coming down the line. And she's sitting here with this baby, and here comes these women, these women of Israel who surround her, and they start praying over her. These are praying women, y'all. They come in and they start praying over her. And they pray. We pray that this baby will be famous throughout Israel. And we pray that not only that for the baby, but we pray. Oh, and they prayed over Naomi. We pray that the birth of this baby will provide renewal for you and it will provide strength in your old age. And guess what it did? It was like she got a shot of adrenaline. In her, and it provided renewal and strength and energy in Naomi in, in Naomi's old age. Look, she's sitting there with that baby. It didn't bring back Elimelech or her two sons. It didn't change what had gone on, but God had used that to change her perspective. See, a lot of people go to the grave broken and bitter. But not Naomi. Naomi refused to go and live her last days of her life broken and bitter. Her, her handfuls on purpose and provision and promise and all of those things had come to her home and to her life. And it was complete. The process was completely fulfilled as she sat there holding that baby. No, it wasn't. Because when Naomi would close her eyes in death. We learn that this baby named Obed had a son named Jesse who had a son named David. And King David had a son who 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 had a son. 
And then 14 more generations had a son, or had a son, 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 had a son. And one day, a man named Jacob. You want to tell me the Bible's not connected? A man named Jacob has a child named Joseph. Now, that's already happened before in Scripture, right? A man named Jacob has a child named Joseph who meets a young girl named Mary <laughs> who an angel appears to Sister McClendon and says what? You are going to be the mama of the Savior of the world. And if you open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 1 and you read that family tree, you're going to see the names Obed, Boaz, and Ruth. Redemption. Those names listed in the lineage of our Savior, Jesus. Naomi saw the process happen as she sat there with that baby. But she would not know. Now she knows in eternity. She would not know the process of how it all would end and how God would close the door on her story. Kevin, will you come and begin to play for us? And if you'll play that last song that we ended with. And you know what this, this tells me? It tells me that no matter where you are in your story, no matter where you are, if you're battling bitterness, if you're eaten up with all these things, if you recognize the redemption that God has for you, you too can receive the renewal for your soul and the renewal of your story that Naomi did. We sang a song just a few minutes ago that says, By your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. In your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Let me leave you with this promise. Last thing. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Paul said it. I am sure that God who began a good work within you will keep right on helping you grow in His grace until the task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. Amen. Let's stand together today. Maybe.